On episode 39, I bring in Gaden Kazanch again. He was on episode 36. Uh, we were talking about the war between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Uh, he is a uh, historian, if you will. Uh, he knows a lot about that region, a lot about those countries. And there's now a peace agreement in place, uh, and he runs us down as to what is going on there. It's not all bad if you're Armenian, so uh, there is some positives that he mentioned in this episode, which is refreshing and nice to hear. This interview did take place on November the 16th, 2020. News changes all the time about this, and I just want to make sure that you know that it's updated on that day, and that if anything else breaks, I will be sure to have him on back again for him to update us. Here we go. God, and the last time we spoke, it was episode 36. I called it a conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia. It was more like an all-out war started by Azerbaijan. But now it looks, well, there was a, a couple ceasefires in place. Um, that didn't work out very well. The Azeris kept coming. And now this latest one looks like it is official. It's in place. What exactly do you have that you have in, in terms of information? And what is the latest between the two? So, as predicted, uh, Azerbaijan went went hard. I mean, they were accumulating a massive amount of weaponry this past 30 years, uh, and they wanted to use it. And uh, they wanted to be fast and efficient in terms of them getting all that territory. And uh, ultimately, at the same time, of course, there was a diplomatic effort going on with uh, with these countries. So, mainly... Armenia and Azerbaijan, and of course, Russia probably being the most pivotal diplomatic actor in this regard. So at the same time, you have the military conflict going on, but also you have this diplomatic background, you know. And ultimately, there was just one proposal that uh, the Russians really wanted to push throughout the conflict, and that was called the Lavrov proposal, the Lavrov, Lavrov plan, named after the foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov. So what what we see now in terms of the peace agreement is exactly no actually it's like the it's like a bastardized version of the Lavrov plan and I'll explain why but what we see is the Lavrov plan implemented and the Lavrov plan basically is what you see today it is Russian peacekeepers taking control of of parts of Artsakh proper and then uh, the surrounding districts being handed over to to the Azeri government. There is some give and take with uh, some other random things like the road from Nakhichevan to uh, western Azerbaijan. There's that as well. But at the same time, Armenians have a have accessibility from Armenia to to Stepanagerd, and that was all part part of the Lavrov plan. Now, what changed was what what changed with the Lavrov Lavrov plan was that Azeris always wanted Shushi. This is their quote-unquote spiritual city of Karabakh, and they always wanted control of that city. But that wasn't part of the Lavrov plan. So what really triggered the peace agreement was the capture of this town called Shushi. Now, Aliyev could go back home and, and tell his, his followers that, you know, oh, I captured Shushi, it's a victory, we're going to go to Shushi and celebrate, and etc. So that really changed the dynamic in terms of what was happening on the ground. What's so enticing about Shushi? <laughs> well, uh, it's 
considered an, a, a pure Azeri town for them, which it's is not the case. It's actually it was an Armenian town for centuries. The Armenians got massacred there in the nineteen in nineteen twenty, and it then became majority Azeri populated, and therefore they think it was always like that, but it wasn't. And it's also on top of that, it's it's a very important strategic town because it sits on top of a a, a, a high plateau, and it overlooks Stepanagert. And uh, they say whoever conquers Shushi ends up conquering Artsakh. So hmm. um, that's that's why it's so pivotal as to who has it in their hands. And of course, once the Azeris took Shushi out things really changed drastically in terms of the, the dynamics in the conflict. So. Is it true that 90% of Armenians were living in that area? Yes, for centuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for centuries, especially in Artsakh proper. Now, the surrounding areas, yes, there were uh, a lot of villages where Azeris were living there, but it was never to a point in which within Artsakh, as we know it, there was never a majority uh, Azeri population. So now 90% of Armenians have to leave the area. I don't know how many Armenians have to leave the area. Let us just say that, uh, let me just put it this way. Uh, 150,000 Armenians were living in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, half of them, more than half of them during the conflict went to Armenia proper as refugees. Some stayed. I believe the figure was like 20,000 to 30,000 stayed. And some are returning back. So we, we, we are seeing uh, a lot of Armenians return back. The government is actually subsidizing their return to uh, Stepanagerd and etc. However, it's going to be a, a, long and, uh, a long and hard process to rebuild Stepanagerd because it was bombed quite a bit, to say the least. Wait, so 20,000, 30,000 Armenians were refugees are now being allowed to go back? Yes. So the deal basically stipulates that Russia will be safeguarding what we know of as Artsakh. Well, you know, obviously the territory has gotten a little smaller, but Russia is now providing the security for the Armenians that were living in Stepanagert, Martuni, Mardagert, etc. So those Armenians can return back. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so out of one hundred and fifty thousand of them, twenty to thirty thousand left. No, uh, more than half. So more than half talking, left. Yeah, okay. we're talking ninety thousand, I believe. So ninety thousand left, but out of the hundred fifty thousand, twenty to thirty thousand are returning. But do they even have homes to return to? Uh, when I said twenty thousand, I said I meant that those were the ones that were that are still there, regardless. Mm. So uh, of that 90,000, I don't know how many are returning. Um, mm-hmm. As of now, there's there's no official but statistics are, in that are, regard. Aren't they kicking out those who are in the area, the Armenians that are there? Aren't they kicking them out? Okay, so uh, remember that I said uh, there were districts outside of Artsakh that Armenians had in control. Those are the districts that are being handed over to the Azeri government. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Armenians just don't want to live under the Azeri government. So what they're doing is, it's yeah, it's tragic, but they, they are burning their homes. Um, a lot of them are abandoning, of course, their livelihoods and settling in Armenia. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, But uh, again, the, the parts where, the part where 
Russia is providing the security for, Armenians can return to that part and uh, continue their way of life. However, we, we, that, that status, even that status is not fully determined yet. We don't know. The peace agreement doesn't outline a, a, a certain type of status for that area yet. So there's going to be intense negotiations now, and we don't know exactly how, who that, how they're going to live, under what type of government. We, we don't know yet. There's current civil unrest in Armenia right now. Some are saying civil war, possibly. What do you, what do you think? There is, the tensions are high, definitely. Tensions are high. Um, this, uh, this is a controversial decision made by the government of Armenia and, of course, by the, the government of, uh, of Artsakh as well. Uh, everyone's going to have a very strong emotions about it. Currently, the ruling party, which is actually a very popular party based off of the, you know, the votes that it received in, in, in 2018, is being v- viciously attacked by the, the opposition. The opposition doesn't have much power, so they're uh, applying a lot of drastic and, and, and very uh, hardline approaches into t- taking power. Uh, apparently, there was a, a, pl- a plot to assassinate the prime minister, uh, a couple of, of these opposition members, or I don't know who they were. They were just random people. They could have been even random people. Went inside the prime minister's house. They beat up the the Speaker of Parliament, this guy named uh, Ararat Mizoyan. But on the other hand, this doesn't mean the ruling party or or the Prime Minister has been so uh, innocent as well. He has been saying pretty uh, controversial things too, because uh, I mean, uh, he's been saying controversial things in terms of like fanning fanning the flames. His choice of words weren't aren't as as uh, proper as it should be. So yes, there is a lot of conflict. But today, uh, but what the country needs right now, just to to simmer down tensions, is 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 an election, I believe, just so that the ruling party could get a new mandate and assess what's happening in terms of their popularity and in terms of their support. Uh, and uh, luckily, today, the president of Armenia, Armin Sarkisian, uh, he said that we will be having a. a we, he, he is he is re- requesting elections, so there will be snap elections perhaps in two thousand twenty one. Hmm. You know, yeah. Ar- Armenians are fighters. You know, we don't give up. It's hard for them in that region to recognize what Pashinyan has done and and the uh, the agreement that he has made. What do you think about his decision? Uh, personally, I I I I'm in supportive of his decision because Armenia was really in a dire, dire situation. And believe it or not, the Russians at the last moment saved Armenia from complete military calamity. The Azeris were, were superior in, in many ways. They were superior in, in terms of the weaponry they had, in terms of their their, their technologically advanced state-of-the-art weapons, uh, in terms of tactics as well. They, they were fighting a 21st century war, not a 20th century war. Uh, the Azeris realized that Armenians are still sticking to trench warfare, which is something that you know people were doing in in in, in, the, in the first World War, but that's not going to fly in the 21st century. So that's why they kept buying drones. That's why they kept buying all of these uh, state-of-the-art weapons, and and ultimately, this led to them in the first couple of weeks basically breaking down the defensive the the defenses of the Armenian. 
army. It's like breaking down a door, and then once you break down that door, you're 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 free and clear to do what you want in the country. And that's what basically happened. And, uh, and you know, some of the drones they had, I mean, even Russian anti-air artillery can't even hmm. bring them down. I mean, let alone Armenian. I mean, we're talking about Russians who always boast about being very having the best anti-drone technology. Uh, the Bayraktar drones that Azerbaijan was using, they're these combat drones with, with, with four missiles on them. They were destroying Russian-made anti-air artillery guns in, in places like Libya and, and Syria. Armenia couldn't keep up with that. And on top of that, there was trench, since there was trench warfare, all these Armenians are huddled together. Uh, in one spot, and then all it takes is just one little bomb from one of these drones, and uh, you, you're you're talking about an easy thirty, forty lives there in one second gone. Mm-hmm. It's 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 horrific, but it, uh, Ar- Ar- Armenia was was way behind on this. As much as we hate them, we can learn from them. Mm-hmm. Look at the drones they were using. Mm-hmm. Like look at the the we're using tanks uh, they're just slow moving big mm-hmm. vehicles like 50 500 ton vehicles barely moves and then bam they get knocked out with a drone like those those days are done you know what they were doing hmm. they were they were buying so many weapons they were buying weapons from turkey israel ukraine belarus even during the duration of the of the conflict and they were buying these very weird 20th century uh, planes called a A9-2. So a, a, sorry, AN-2. And You're talking AN-2, about the Azeris, right? Yeah, the Azeris were buying mm-hmm. these planes from Ukraine and, mm-hmm. and Armenians were like, why the hell are they buying these planes? What they were doing is they were buying these old uh, planes from the 1950s and they were reprogramming them, refurbishing them into drones. Wow. So they were these cheap planes and they were flying them over at low altitudes, okay, over Armenian anti-air artillery positions, mainly, and the Armenians were shooting them down. Basically, they're decoys, right? Mm. And that would expose all of the Armenian defenses. Mm. The Armenians would celebrate this. Oh, we shot down a plane, and I was like, oh my god, don't say that. That wasn't a. That was a decoy. And mm. then, ultimately. What happens is there's drones behind these these planes, and they would see where the anti-air positions are, the art- artillery positions are, and they would bomb them. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we're talking. They were way ahead in this game. Wow, I mean, and they were prepped for this. How how long do you think these guys were ready to do this thing? They were prepping for a good decades upon decades wow. so i mean it's you know one advantage that they have is that only they know when their the war is going to start not the armenians armenians right. don't know when the war is going to start they had the plan in their head was it five years ten years we're going to do this we're going to buy that etc etc only they know that so the armenians were outflanked in that regard yeah this has as you know has a lot to do with the past you know, and, and losing again to these guys in, in a lot of minds is a loss to them. So it's difficult for them to recognize what happened. And and they feel like it's a give up on the Armenians part and, and Pashinyan's decision. But I, I'm kind of with you on this, too. I think you're going up against um, a giant, you know, and they've got so much back up. You know, the weaponry is, is night and day. 
Armenians are concerned yeah. that possibly what could be next is if you give up Artsakh, next could be Armenia in the future. Do you think that'll ever happen? Um, l- let me just backtrack to one part of you were saying, and mm-hmm. I'll answer that question. One thing, I actually want to make a plot twist here. That, and this is actually good news for the Armenians. I actually think this was a bad deal for Azerbaijan. Because Azerbaijan was winning the war. And they signed on to a peace agreement wherein which Russia now controls their territory. And they don't even know for a fact. It says on paper, yeah, five years, maybe ten years. But they don't, they, they don't know for a fact that uh, if, whether or not Russia is going to leave. I mean, we could, we could ask the Georgians about that, you know, whether Russia leaves their territory, because the uh, Russians do occupy uh, internationally recognized Georgia as well. So Russia, in a, calculative, uh, in a calculated move, so, like a chess move, basically now has leverage over Azerbaijan, over Artsakh, and over Armenia. Okay? So whoever misbehaves from each one of these entities, it'll punish. And how will it punish? For example, let's say Azerbaijan is becoming closer to the West. Russia will say, hey, I'll, I'll recognize Karabakh's independence then, Artsakh's independence then. So now, what's going to happen with Azerbaijan? <laughs> They're going to try to behave towards Russia, right? Mm. Turkey also, now, now Russia has leverage over Turkey. Let's say Turkey starts misbehaving and saying, you know what, we're not going to buy your Russian uh, equipment anymore. They were buying it for the past five years. Let's say they're not going to do that and they're going to buy NATO weapons or something or build another NATO base. I don't know. I'm just giving an example. And then what Russia could go around and say, okay, then we'll build a military base right here in Artsakh. So uh, uh, I don't know what happened behind the scenes and why Azerbaijan really wanted to sign on to this peace agreement because in reality Azerbaijan was winning the war and could have taken out Artsakh in a matter of weeks and but didn't and they got the short end of the stick here and and once the dust settles I think a a lot of Azeris are not going to be happy as to what happened in terms of this war you know they spent 30 years building up their military they spent 30 years with all that hate hateful rhetoric against armenians we're going to take it back we're going to take all of artsakh we're going to take all of this all of that just so that the russians could come and plant their uh, foot in the middle of it all no i really think uh, azerbaijan didn't get uh, the deal that they wanted and uh, it's only We'll realize how bad of a deal it's. The the people are only going to realize that soon. Maybe they were. Maybe they were infatuated with uh, with sushi. Yes, there is that too. Uh, there's also this other theory because uh, Stepanagerd, uh, Mar- Mardagerd, they were never infatuated with it because uh, uh, Azeris never lived in those places in the first place, so it was never part of their obsession. You know. Mm. Shushi, they live there, so all of these Shushi refugees from that from the first war went and kept talking about revenge and revenge. So that's what they they're they're fulfilling. But it also could be Russia just saying, "Look, either you accept this deal, or we're going in anyway." Mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, we we don't know what mm-hmm. happened uh, behind the scenes, but uh, I want to despair as an Armenian because I mean, at the end of the day. 
we did get something out of this deal and our, our the, the the armenians when they fought this war didn't fight in vain and the reason why i say that is because now russians are, russians are controlling the territories that the armenians managed to defend and uh they defended it well enough that we have uh, major population population centers and spiritual centers like Kansas are in their dominion protected by a big brother power like russia so back um, to that question the question was <laughs> uh you think that uh, you know after this cease agreement is uh, oh the over ceasefire, oh, ceasefire oh, agreement armenia. in five years yeah do you think these guys will ever you know go into armenia as it stands, and if the political dynamic continues the way it is right now, no. Russia has too much influence over Armenia. Look, uh, Mike, you, you got to think about it this way. If they wanted to do that, they could have done that already. You know, mm-hmm. uh, There's a reason why they don't do that. They, there's a reason why they, they, they haven't penetrated Armenia. It's because of the reaction of Russia. Look, r- what Russia did right now was so unexpected with Artsakh. Imagine what it how unexpected of a reaction Russia... Actually, Russia's reaction is expected with Armenia. So it, it's uh, R- Russia being the deterrent in that region is is the major factor for that. Yeah. First thing I thought of was all the beautiful churches that they were going to take down and the crosses and you know everything in yeah. that area and region. But then I heard that Russians made sure that in this agreement that the Russians were going to protect the churches, right? Is that true? As far as I know, there's two things that I've heard. One is that Lavrov, Sergei Lavrov, in an interview said that uh, he's going to bring in UNESCO. So that's a big plus to safeguard all of those uh, uh, those cultural monuments. And yes, the Russians are supervising, providing the security for a, a certain monastery called Dadivank. It's a very old monastery from the 4th century. And that's a very, very important uh, monastery. And yeah, Russia will provide the security for that, apparently. But as to how many more monasteries it could provide security for, I do not know. There's another beautiful monastery called the Amaras Monastery. I don't know what the Russians... uh, That's an uh, Azeri hands down, and I don't know what the Russians are going to do about it. Are Armenians allowed to go to that church and attend that church? Now that's that's a good question. We don't know yet. Uh, the the status of that is still being determined. But so here's a, another part of this agreement is let's uh, is that all of these roads between Armenia and Azerbaijan are going to be unblocked. Hmm. So Armenia pretty much has open borders with Azerbaijan. So technically, per the agreement, yes, Armenians can go to those churches. But let's see how this will be put into effect, and let's see how far uh, Azerbaijan and Armenia are willing to abide by that particular provision in in the agreement. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how trustworthy those people are, man. Going back on yeah, those roads. It, that, that's that's the thing, man. It's just a matter of trust between these two communities because th- th- there's been so much bloodshed, there's been so much war, there's been so much rhetoric from both sides that there's just no trust, man. Yeah. And uh, th- that's, I think, one of the most important things for Armenia because, look, in the end of the day, these guys are going to be our neighbors for eternity, mm. you know. And living like this is not easy as well. Leaving peacefully, obviously, is much easier and much beneficial for both sides. And uh, building 
sometimes some type of trust is important and i think russia could pave that way for us because russia is now going to be in that region and be like be like a, a, a supervisor right so whoever misbehaves will get punished type of thing so they're going to be they're going to forcefully appreciate one another just like how they did in the soviet union when they had a big brother figure uh supervising them they the, the armenians and azeris were let's just say not enemies not friends either but getting along at least you know, so. yeah this is a five-year ceasefire now it could go longer if nothing happens after the fifth year Yes, that's a, th- this is what everyone's wondering. So w- the, the provision states that if no one says anything about the ceasefire towards the... I'm sorry, no one says anything about the presence of Russian troops by the end of the five-year term, ultimately someone makes a request for them to leave, either party, they will leave. That's what the provision says. The troops? Yeah, the Russian peacekeeping uh, forces. Wait, with so within this five years, if they tell them to leave? Uh, six months prior, there's something about mm-hmm. that. I need to look at the exact text because every word when, when it comes to this agreement is very important. So I believe it's six months prior, within that six months period, any entity that wants them, requests them to leave, the Russian troops shall leave. If no one makes that request, they stay another five years. So if they leave... Then what? Then they got to come up with something else. Yeah, that's that's the big question mark on any, everyone's head, hmm. you know. Because as of now, we, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, Russia could play could play games, you know. Russia wants to be there forever, of course, because they want to check Turkey's influence. They also have a national security issue because Azerbaijan and Turkey bought all of these mercenaries, right? Mm-hmm. And these mercenaries are now in Azerbaijan and Azerbaijan is a country that borders Russia and the part of Russia that it borders has been known for terrorist activity. So there's this place called Dagestan and Ingushetia and Chechnya. Maybe you've heard of them. These, these are places where a, a lot of uh, factualism occurs. A lot of insurgency, Islamic insurgents are based so these these mercenaries could you know one day just pack up their bags, go across the border and 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 start up another insurgency within Russia. So this is a national security threat for Russia as well. So it wants to be in that region to to put at least some type of uh, pressure onto uh, those individuals that are there. Never thought of that. Yeah, yeah that's a good yeah. point. It, uh-huh. Scary too. Iran uh-huh. is also worried about them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because th- th- these are Sunni uh, mercenaries, and Iran is a Shia uh, country, mm-hmm. and they're worried about sh- uh, Sunni terrorist groups up emboldening themselves in Azerbaijan and perhaps even attacking Iran too. So, Jeez. Yeah. So those who are leaving the area now, headed towards Armenia, is, is there enough housing for these people to live? Uh, that's a good question. As I, I wouldn't say so. No, a lot of them are living in hotels. A lot of them are living in uh, private residences. A lot of them, yes, there are shelters, but not adequate. I mean, this was this became this came out of nowhere. So luckily, I, I, uh, the Armenian Fund, I, I, I read that they are going to build shelters with mm. the money that they've uh, accumulated this past forty somewhat days. 
How much are they accumulated? Do you know? I would say 200 million. How much housing can you build with that in Armenia? I, I don't know, but you, you could build quite a lot, mm-hmm. I think. Think about how much it costs to make something like a school because that's how much like how big a, a shelter would be. So think about having all those beds. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but a couple of million for sure. Really good stuff. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. So much. That was very, very good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Godin mentioned that Armenia Fund has raised nearly $200 million. That's true. It's a lot of money, a lot of money for Armenia. You can multiply that by 500, and that would be their dudam. For example, a school can be built in Armenia around 100 to 150 thousand dollars. So, if they're gonna build schools of that size, it being homes, they're gonna be able to build a lot of homes for the refugees in the area that is coming from Artsakh. So. That is another good sign. And thanks to the diaspora and the funds that Armenia Fund has raised, let's all hope and pray and cross our fingers that those funds will go towards housing for these people who are relocating in Armenia. Um, obviously, that is vital, important. Let's make sure that uh, you know they're doing all the right things there. But uh, again, if we have any other updates as this thing goes along, I will be sure to have gotten back on to update us as to what is happening in that region. I don't think all is bad. Uh, prior to the interview, prior to the conversation I had with him, you know, it, it seemed like everything was bad. But you know, I think he brought out some good points and some some positive things, and that is refreshing. So I, I know Armenians are are not losers. We're extremely competitive, and if we think that, you know. We're, we're losing a war or a battle or whatever it is, we're upset by it. But so we'll see. Time will always tell. In 94 to uh, fast forward to 2020, they had a peace agreement in place until then or until now. And uh, now it's five years away. So, you know, I've mentioned this before. The region is Armenia is surrounded by you know, Muslim countries and it's going to be hard to, you know, ever get out of its way and you know, thank God Russia is there. And, you know, I believe that they are doing their part. So thanks for listening. If you guys have any questions, uh, please contact me, either my Miked Up Pod on Instagram, or you can email me, connect at mikeduppod.com. I am Mike Gabriel. Thank you for making me a part of your day. I hope that episode helped you out a little bit and gave you a nice explanation as to what's happening. This is Miked Up Pod. Until next time, folks. No wasted days. Let's go. 